a self-aware guest. Love it. I love this already. Self-awareness is hard, but but I try. Hello, welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we speak condescendingly to the men who work for us, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the guy who bakes all of the cookies on this show, Mike Thompson. It's true. I need to start prepping for the county fair again, man. Get back in the kitchen and start baking (laughs) some goddamn cookies, Mike. (laughs) You know your place. I do. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm I'm doing okay. We just got back from Nostalgia Alley's fifth anniversary, which for those of you who haven't listened is the retro video game store where Sarah and I got married a couple of weeks ago and they were giving away free kind of like mystery grab bag video games for everybody who came in until they ran out. And um, Sarah got one for the original NES system and motherfucker, it was Friday the 13th, the video game. Well, and and the thing is, is that we got married on Friday the 13th. And so we had a bunch of Friday the 13th, like themed kitsch all over the place. We, we talked to Andy Mangles a couple episodes ago to, to promote it a little bit. And we had a slabbed copy of that as one of our wedding centerpieces. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, stars the line. It's, it was, it's been a good day so far is what I'm trying to say. I love that. It's going to be an even better day because we have a great podcast to record. So I'm (laughs) excited about that. And in fact, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. And if you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it would be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, because truly, that really does help us with discoverability. This week, we're going to be discussing Marvel's Dakota North, a 1986 miniseries and a recurring character in the Marvel Comics universe. And with us to talk about this today, we have a special guest, Dr. Gordon Schmidt. Would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, excited to be here. Uh, Gordon Schmidt. I am a professor of management at the University of Louisiana Monroe. And part of the stuff I research is about science communication and kind of helping how do we make things understandable to regular people? Because most journal articles are brutal and even us half the time can't understand what the heck they're talking about. And so partly because of that, my co-author and I, Cy, we wrote a book, Leaders Assemble Leadership in the MCU, that talks all about learning about leadership through watching Marvel movies, which doesn't really seem like homework to me in that same way. (laughs) Um, And so (laughs) we love talking about that. And we do a bunch of blog posts too, talking about uh, secret invasion and leader management exchange. We talked about Barbie and motivating jobs. And it's all part of the getting into science communication is cool because then you just talk about the things you love in real life. (laughs) And it's part of your job. (laughs) So that's that's been fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're you're a far less problematic doctor writing about comic books than Frederick Wortham and Seduction of the Innocent. 
that oh is, my god that is, i get that a lot that's true yeah most people find me less <laughs> less problematic <laughs> who finds you more problematic than frederick wortham like come on right, exactly. they don't they wouldn't say it to my face i'm sure <laughs> yeah he's <definitely> very <laughs> oh well i am very excited about our main topic but before we do talk about that what is one cool thing you've read or watched recently gordon do you want to start us off Oh, sure. So because of how much our cable company rips us off for internet, they're just like, here's free Peacock. Oh, okay. They took ours away. Really? (laughs) They were were like, we're ending your free membership, but if you want to pay an extra $3 a month, and I was like, "Mm, maybe that's coming coming soon. Maybe for the new year. Happy new year. We'll Mm. lose Peacock. You should should actually thank Mike for that membership right now. (laughs) That was a direct transfer. I didn't know it was a limited number. They didn't tell me who I was taking it from, but I got no regrets at the moment. Um, but so, <laughs> I, so I've been using it to watch uh, Monday Night Raw from the start, episode to episode, which I watched as a kid. You know, in the 90s mm-hmm. when it came out, it was like the most amazing thing because I was already, that's like the main era of me uh, watching WWF was that era. Yeah, back when it was the WWF. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I started by watching the Royal Rumble and then the Royal Rumble is like two episodes into Raw or whatever. Um, so it's really interesting to watch. Um, Memory is really interesting, too, because I watched it as a kid. So now I get to see some of the things like I think there's multiple doinks. It seems very likely. Uh, you know, There's a lot of these weird things that as a kid, I didn't really understand. And it's got all these like weird 90s references that, you're, yeah. you're, you know, you're just not ready for in that same way. And I do, the thing is, I know big picture, but I don't know small things like what happens to random wrestler X or all of that too. And so there's all these storylines where I'm like, I know what happens to the championship and like next WrestleMania, but I don't know what happens to crush in two weeks. Like, mm. I don't know what is Tatanka doing the, in the King of the ring. Does he make it? I have no idea. I, uh, so it's like a weird, it's a weird game of nostalgia. Plus like, you know, I don't remember the details. So that's, that's, really that's cool. been kind of a fun, uh, fun little thing for me. <laughs> We actually, uh, we like the WWE slash WWF. <laughs> My name is in the credits for several of the WWE 2K games. And uh, oh, wow. and then I actually hung out with Jason Ayers, the, the referee, who is friends with all of the comic book podcasts oh, yeah, yeah. recently when he was in Sacramento. Awesome. We're going to have him on at some point. But yeah, but yeah no, we are, uh, surprisingly, we are wrestling friendly on this podcast. <laughs> we are. Interesting. I don't know. I watched. I actually tried to watch a little of Crown Jewel because it was on Peacock streaming, and uh, I do not understand modern wrestling, so that's okay though. They <laughs> just look at they were moving at like a quarter of the speed <laughs> of nineteen ninety three to me. I, yeah. I don't know if it's main event style today, but it was it was strange to me. <laughs> yeah, it's very different now. I'll say that much. It's um, it's a lot more focused on on stories because like yeah. they have so much content these days, like you know oh, all the yeah. different WWE shows. And they're they're soap operas, so yeah. Well, it's crazy because I was watching it. They're like, John Cena is he going to win or not? And they're like, he's got a five year losing streak going. And I was like, it's okay. still good to beat him when he just keeps losing over and over again. <laughs> it's just a really it's really interesting. Like the dynamics, like I just don't get it. You know, I I, I have like I have general memory of nineteen ninety three, but the new thing I just don't know the context at all, which is fascinating. So mm. we'll see if I get into it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Well, very cool. Well, Mike, what have you been reading or watching recently? Yeah, I just finished the main story for Spider-Man 2 on PS5. 
we talked about it a bit when we recorded last time. Like I just started it, I think about a week ago. Yeah. So for the most part, I really loved it. It's, it's like another incredibly polished open world Spider-Man game starring both Peter and Miles. The core story is really fun, like really true to that friendly neighborhood part of their characters. It's like very street level. There is a large portion of the main story focused on Craven the Hunter, which I really enjoyed. I feel like I feel like they were actually setting him up to be a bigger part of the plot. And there are all these these kind of like background details teased out in a really unsettling way for the first two thirds of the game. And then they just kind of end it and the game pivots very hard, very fast to a story that is focused on Venom. And and then it starts incorporating elements of the King and Black storyline from a couple of years ago. It's not bad, but it's also, I don't know. It just, it, it's a very abrupt switch. And I'm also just very tired of Venom. And the third act left me feeling a little disappointed, but like not enough to not enjoy the game. But yeah, like honestly, the best moments of the game are when Peter and Miles are going through New York and they're just helping other people like, like there's just a bunch of really meaningful little side missions where they just, they're not fighting anybody. They're just helping folks. And there's one mission with miles where he helps a woman find her grandfather who has dementia and he's wandered off. And you're like following, like you, you figure out like a, there's a whole chemistry mini game about like following his inhaler chemical or something like that. But you visit these different spots. And then when you finally find him, he's on a park bench and he tells you about how all the locations that you've tracked him to, were all key spots in the love story between him and his wife. And the final location is where he proposed. And he tells you about how he doesn't want to forget her yet. And so like, you're just sitting on the bench, listening to this guy, tell this really poignant story. And like, that's not the only one. There's a couple of others. I don't want to spoil them, um, but they're all really sweet. And I keep thinking about them much more than the main storyline. And then also the Craven storyline, like half baked as it, as it feels, it's probably still going to be like a million times better than that new movie that we've got coming out like next year, which looks just <laughs> dreadful. Like I showed, I showed my stepson the trailer for that after he was watching me play Spider-Man and he was just like, that looks terrible. <laughs> I'm like, damn, a 13 year old is saying that. Mm. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Well, I just finished watching the Netflix series Bodies, which is an adaptation of a DC graphic novel. I've heard about this. I haven't seen it yet, but I just saw an article about how it's like based on a comic. Mm, the Chef's Kiss, highly recommend. It's about four different detectives in different times who are solving the same murder, like hmm. literally the same murder. It's the same person found in the same way in the exact same place. Just oh, wow. in their respective times. And without giving away too much about the story, it's a really twisty plot line. And the character development is really well done. The acting is just it, uh, so good. I would highly recommend checking it out. But it is one of those shows where you really need to be paying attention. Mm. And it pays off like if you do pay attention. Because the closer attention that you do pay to everything, the more little hints you'll pick up as you're watching it and you'll remember okay. as you're going through. So yeah, I'm really hoping we get another season of this. I was reading an article on it and it was saying that it was supposed to be kind of like a, an all encompassed storyline, oh, cool. but they 
did leave like an open at the end just in case. And it was just like, like, come on, like, Mm. yes, please. But also I understand if it is just like a, and it is a good story if it is. So (laughs) I either way recommend. So yeah, well, we're we're looking for new things to watch because we're finishing up all our stuff. So I'll have to check that out with Sarah. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, what do you guys say that we move on to our main topic? I'm down. All right. So this week we are going to be talking about Marvel's Dakota North. We'll discuss the history of how this comic came to be, the plot, and our thoughts about the 1986 miniseries, and other places where you can find this character. But before we start, I'd like to give shoutouts to my resources. The Marvel.com character page for Dakota North, TCJ.com, the Comics Journal article by Keith Silva titled Revisiting Dakota North, published August 7th, 2018. Two blog posts on AlexBledsoe.com by Alex Bledsoe titled The Unexpected Return of Dakota North, Parts 1 and 2 the Wikipedia article on Dakota North, and an article on geekositymag.com titled She-Hulk, Attorney at Law Adds Dakota North Character. By I thought that happened. I wasn't sure, but I thought that happened. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But we will get there. <laughs> um, by Edwin Francisco and published September 17th, 2022. And wow. we will, of course, have these resources listed in the show notes. So I just want to say before we start, the reason we're doing this is a couple of reasons. Like, I know, Gordon, you had specifically requested this one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, I think, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I remember this. Already, <laughs> I, it had already been on my list because I have been no part of this conversation, by the way, because my Mike is our, like, online person. <laughs> And so, um, but it has been on my list since the very beginning of our podcast, because I found the whole five issue miniseries in a bundle at Outer Plains before they even announced their moving sale. Like when we first started the podcast, like it was one of the first things I kind of picked up in my first comic sweep. So I've just been sitting on this and I actually hadn't read it. And so... Yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at now. This is a culmination of yeah. what three how many years have we been doing this now? So it's it's a culmination of that three. long. Yeah. Whew. Yes. So that's that's what it is. Yeah, and then I think Gordon found some issues of Dakota North in the dollar bins and I was like, Oh yeah, like I think Jessica found that and and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, I got a really cheap trade of it at a oh, books nice, million yeah. out of the business. Oh, you uh, have well, the trade. Like $4. And so I actually have the trade and then I have Perfect. most of the the ones after up to a certain time. Cool. Um, oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. And then I got the first issue in a in a bin for 2 bucks. <laughs> there well. we go. Well, yeah, we will we will talk about how the trade plays into the publication, in fact, because I have the the full miniseries. All right. So Dakota North is an interesting character with an even more interesting backstory as to her creation. Martha Thomas's 
wrote the Dakota North series, and she was indeed a writer, but she had no prior experience in writing comics. And the illustrator, Tony Sammons, also only had done fill-in illustration for a handful of Marvel gigs. But let's back up a little bit, because this story also involves Larry Hama, whom Thomas's met through mutual acquaintance Dennis O'Neill. Casual, you know. Casual, yeah, lunch one time, right? <laughs> you know. We're starting to be like that, friend. Don't, yeah, don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> if we can casually say we're friends with the godfather of Hellraiser, like, listen. I, I have to resist You think that's not a feather in my fucking cap? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I'll bring it up. I'm all listen to my podcast. We keep it real, but also <laughs> we have lots of cool guests, including our guest today. So this is just an example. So Hama and Thomas's came up with the idea for Dakota North after brainstorming specifically a female character. Sammons was brought on as another rookie. Hama calling him inexperienced at storytelling. And this allowed Hama to guide them both along in a way to like kind of mold them into more comics creators, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, that sounds right. Yeah. At this point in time, like Hama, Hama had really hit it big for, for Marvel because GI Joe, he was writing and illustrating it for a long period of time. And at one point that was their most subscribed to comic series, like for, for mail order subscriptions. I think I'm, okay. I might be misremembering yeah, it, but sense. it was, but it was a top seller for them for a long time. Yeah. It was really big for quite a while. Yeah. yeah that makes total sense. The main idea behind Dakota North's character was to make her a strong female lead at a point where there weren't really any in their repertoire at the time, like at all. Dazzler had just been canceled. (laughs) We've talked about Dazzler a few episodes back. I'm not sure. The only other female lead was Misty, which was from their label Star Publications. And let's be real. It was Dakota North was also a cash grab, of course. Marvel wanted to try to gain more female readership. And so, you know, Dakota North was created. I mean, we've talked about this before, like, because we've talked about a number of like 80s female character starring series. And they were all like, it sounds like kind of sort of like, I mean, Dazzler lasted for a while, but like, it sounds like they were kind of flops at the same time. Like, yeah, Firestar was whatever thing spellbinder was right right i mean i I wanted to like that series a lot more than i did i did too but you know what you're right tale is old as time (laughs) you know it's (laughs) well and then what was it beauty and the beast which also starred dazzle it's like okay exactly man good segue into that (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean here we are again at this crossroads but in a recent interview by Alex Bledsoe, Thomas's mentioned that she found inspiration for the name, specifically from an artist with the first name Dakota, and that North naturally followed. I'm not sure how, okay. but that's just what was said. <laughs> so, could have been South Dakota, I guess. If... I know, I guess so. I She's know. like Dakota North, I guess. North and South. Well, it's like she had said that she wasn't very good at naming things, which is like, okay, like I hear, like heard, like say less. 
you know. But uh, what's fun is that Dakota North's look was inspired by an actual model, late model and author Norris Church. Hmm. But the resemblance was in looks alone, as Dakota North's personality reportedly was nothing like that of Church's. And this wasn't the only character that was inspired by someone. And in fact, we will meet the character Luke Jacobson, but his character was based on Thomas's friend and fashion designer, David Freelander, who sadly died of AIDS in 1987. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. I'm assuming that Freelander was gay. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Which I mean, like, like Luke is very queer coded. It, like they have a he's whole thing later. Very coded. They, like they do. do that whole thing where he's like, "Oh, I'm in love with this other woman," or "Or this other woman's in love with me," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> like, mm. but but then his assistant says, "Like, oh, I thought you were going to be in Fire Island this weekend." Yeah, it's like okay, like there, there's a number. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, yeah I'm getting no, ahead of myself. I hear, Sorry. No, a hundred percent. But no, you're you're reading between the lines correctly. You know, in a like, time is it where between the lines really like mm, I mean, I feel like it's as overt. Level. <laughs> it's as overt as they could be in yeah. a situation like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But back to Dakota North. She is an interesting character in a lot of ways because, first of all, she's not a superhero. She isn't a mutant. She doesn't have any latent abilities. And aside from being an a quote-unquote above-average athlete and speaking multiple languages conversationally, including French, Italian, and Japanese, she does not have any special abilities. The other thing that makes Dakota North stand out from her other Marvel contemporaries is that she was created outside of the Marvel Universe. And her first appearances in her titular series, aside from brief mentions of Marvel characters and being portrayed on a television show do not include any appearances from Marvel characters or superheroes in general. And that's not to say that Dakota North doesn't have future brushes with the Marvel Comics universe, spoilers, but her initial universe was built as a standalone, purposefully. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about that, though. Yeah. It was purposeful that she, that she does live outside of that universe, and it was it was an intentional choice by, mm. yeah, by the author. So, so let's talk about the series itself. Issue number one was published in June of 1986, titled "Design for Dying," written by Martha Thomases, art by Tony Sammons, letters by Jim Novak, colored by Christy Scheel, edited by Larry Hama. Editor-in-chief was, of course, Jimmy Shoots, Jim Shooter. <laughs> we start off with Dakota North doing some shooting drills with Mad Dog, one of the guys who works for her, and he's not doing great. <laughs> he shoots a bag lady. <laughs> he shoots a bag lady. <laughs> it's it's not going well. <laughs> we should note, and... <laughs> she has like a full firing range in her office with like pop-up targets. And I love her. Oh, it reminds me a lot of uh, Men in Black, that scene where Will Smith ends up like drilling a, a hole right through like the little five-year-old yeah. <laughs> like like you know the target <laughs> yeah she, she's big on like like being on the phone and like doing shooting at the same time like it's yeah just, she's like patch them through on speaker my favorite thing it's just what people do man 
like what a power move though like what a power move to say like not only are you not worth enough of my time to stop what you're doing but i'm also going to be actively shooting a gun like which is one of the loudest things you could be doing on the phone other than opening a bag of chips it was very good somehow (laughs) so as this is happening, Detective Amos Colhane comes by to try to take Dakota out for coffee because, as we'll find out, he's basically a love-struck puppy who loves following Dakota around. He'll wait for her. He'll follow her. You'll see. Does he have regular hours? Like, it just seems like I he's there randomly like... midday. Yeah. It's like just he's just like, like oh, hey. I'm just popping by. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one time where he like asks for time off and he doesn't even ask he's just like i'm taking this time off and i'm leaving yeah. and he walks out of the office yeah. like okay is that how that works <laughs> like damn the nypd is super generous with their leave policy i guess i guess so oh my gosh Dakota gets a call during the shooting practice, like we mentioned, from a a man named Luke Jacobson, who is a big name fashion designer, and talks to him on speakerphone while she's doing target practice. Amazing. So Luke tells her that he fears for his new fashion line and he's gotten threats against him and she takes on the case and tells Amos... See you later, sweetie. And she rides away on her motorcycle. And he is and really she... excited about being called sweetie, by the way. He He's is. like, did she call me that? And, and Mad Dog's like, oh, yeah, she did. Which also, <laughs> like, I love Mad Dog. Mad Dog's just kind of like, it's a wonderful gender swapped trope of like the capable assistant who's just kind of like a goofball. Yes. Yes. There's these few frames in which, and you can't unsee it once you do, where Amos is just like shaped like a penis. Like his head is like, and then his body. <laughs> and then he, there's also like all these little dicks everywhere. There's like one next to his head where his like little ear is. There's like in one of the frames, like the <laughs> leg. I'm like, what's happening here? But like once you like, and, and I'm not the, I'm not the person to point this out. Like I read this somewhere and I was looking and I'm like, swear to I, God, it's true. Uh, so... <laughs> I'll have to go back and look for it now. I'll set you guys a screen cap later. So it's it's pretty funny. Thank you, Salmons, for that. (laughs) So then she proceeds to ride her motorcycle into the fashion showroom. And, like, she's exiting the elevator. It's a whole thing. Like, she rides her motorcycle all the way up. I, like, I don't know how they normally do things. I didn't realize that's how it worked when you had a motorcycle. Thank you for letting me know that. I'm going to go get a motorcycle and just be a menace. There's a character in the manga here is Greenwood who takes his motorcycle up the stairs to his dorm room every day. So at least she took the elevator. That's a little more realistic. (laughs) Note to self, get a Vespa and start terrorizing businesses. Please put flames on your Vespa. It's going to be a whole thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. So she immediately gets roped into a fashion show because, of course, she's a woman walking into this building. Who else could she be? And so they put her in a dress and they hand her a makeup case telling her to put some makeup on. But the makeup case is pretty heavy and, and she gets suspicious. So she just like 
throws it out the window as you do when you're suspicious about a suitcase, you know, only to have it conveniently explode when it hits the trash can below. <laughs> so clearly there was a threat, I guess. Well, so, she used to be like a model or something, too, didn't she? So that's part of why she's like not really phased by any of this. Yeah, very little is known yeah. about her, but yeah, she's not. Yeah, there's she's a lot of faith. briefcases with with bombs in it and modeling. So she's just like, yeah, just another day at the office. I think. Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> like, I didn't realize there was a dress code to like work for this guy. Like that's how she phrased it. I thought it was very funny because yeah. it didn't feel like she knew she was being roped in to be a model. It felt like she just was like, "Is this what you have to do to like work around here? You have yeah. to like." be dressed a certain way and like wear makeup like wow the fashion industry is weird like <laughs> which i loved that too so we then get to see sj who is their their dad you'll you'll know who they is in a second dakota and ricky his dad so sj is pawning ricky off on his sister basically saying that He's got shit to do, and he needs to go stay with Dakota. So was Dakota informed of this? No, she was not. She is a woman, and therefore she should be a mother. Figure. We should also take a note to talk about SJ and how. Oh, God, yeah. Like, SJ is, like, in a wheelchair. He yep. looks like he's about 70, 75. And yes. then it's like, oh, and then Dakota's his daughter. Fine, whatever. And then Ricky is supposedly 12. But, I mean, like, does not dress or act like any 12 year old I have ever met but yeah. I kind of loved it I was like all right yeah so sunglasses are cool man it's the coolest 12 year old I know is a beat poet or something I know and, and he always wears shoulder pads and a skinny tie it's great oh my gosh it's a so look funny. but like yeah I just uh like I was sitting there and I was like it would have been better if this guy was like their grandfather or something I feel but all right yeah yeah I'm no spoilers, but not a good parent. Like you'll see, oh, <laughs> you see yeah. a lot of very bad parenting all around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So we then jump back to Dakota and Luke, and Luke is explaining the issues that he's had with the company since he sold it to Rycom, and that he had hired her on Cleo Vanderlip's su- suggestion, and Cleo Vanderlip is the CEO of Rycom. And since Cleo had known Dakota's father and had, like, followed her career with great interest, that's not shady, uh, (laughs) we immediately know she's suspicious because one of her lackeys is then shown to punch out a police officer for asking if he has paperwork for his concealed weapon that he's not concealing very well. And then... She has a whole, like, villain monologue to her poor assistant, Anna, about how she's going to run Rycom, like, stock into the ground by destroying the collection. Like, Anna's very much there to hear, like, all of the villain monologues. Yeah, it's a weird plot, like, that I didn't quite understand. I'm like, wait, why are you doing this again? Like, this seems weirdly convoluted and doesn't seem to make sense, but okay. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Don't worry, that never makes sense at any point. I know. (laughs) Or if she's free and it will not make any sense. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who's shitting your shoes, but you're real mad about it, so. Oh, it was her cat. You know, the one that she's strangling later on. <laughs> it wasn't even her cat. That's a great moment coming up. I assume we can, <laughs> we're going to have a discussion related to that cat. We, I, yeah. we can, yeah, absolutely. I may have glossed over it, but you guys won't let me, so now I know. <laughs> so Dakota goes home to find that Amos is still there. <laughs> 
and gives her a message from Mad Dog, and they start getting, like, a little cozy with a drink on the couch when freaking Ricky bursts in. And so Amos excuses himself, like, kissing her on the forehead on the way out, which she is not pleased about. Yeah. And she's like, I am the dom in this relationship. How dare you? And Ricky immediately starts eating all of her food, which is like my nightmare. Like, don't come in here and fuck up my shit and eat all my food. Like, I had, I knew exactly what was in my fridge, you motherfucker. She goes the next day to see Luke's fashion rival, pretending to just suss out whether or not he's involved. Uh, he knows what is happening and has someone throwing knives at her. So she like, she bounces. She's like, this is too wild, but not before he plants a seed saying, did Cleo Vanderlip send you to drive me crazy? Which is like exactly what Cleo wanted to happen for some reason. As she also has this fashion designer wrapped around her finger. I do want to note here as well that they throw a knife at her head because she's clear. They know all the reporters for every single newspaper that do fashion. And they know that she's not one of them. And so you throw knives at people's head if they're new to the job, I guess. The guy who's throwing knives is like a carnival knife thrower. It's like. Right. Like, what is he doing here? Like, was it for like some sort of fashion photo? I think it's a fashion show because there's like, there's like a little person, I think, or just drawn out of proportion. And there's like a clown, I think. Yeah, it was weird. it's a weird mix. It's very strange. Yeah, I didn't know what was happening there. I was like, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're like, oh. So Dakota goes back to Rycom where she's in a meeting with Cleo and Luke, saying that she's putting alarms in the main showroom to tell her if there are intruders. And just then, some masked dudes burst in and kidnap Luke, like putting him in a car and like driving away. That's after like they were downstairs already, but she follows on her motorcycle and manages to get Luke away from the guys only to go home and find that Ricky has just like been eating and watching TV all day, which is just sounds infuriating. So she like teaches him a lesson by throwing him on the ground and like spilling shit everywhere. Like I don't. Okay. (laughs) Tough love. What what did she want him to do though? I'm not sure. I don't know. It's not explained. Any. She She's like, this was your first direction. lesson. T- TV and food seems like the best thing Ricky could do, especially based on where we'll see this is going. Oh, like, I mean, a hundred percent. Ricky like... could get into so much more trouble than he is currently, <laughs> like so easily. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Doesn't take much. She ends up leaving the apartment again so that she can respond to the alarm that has gone off for the showroom, of course. And they show up to find that a ton of things have been vandalized. Clothes everywhere. And Anna tells her that the guy who had been in charge of the attack had been named Otto, some German guy named Otto, who Dakota just knows is a guy named Otto Shanks, and that her dad had talked about him. Because, spoilers, her dad is ex-CIA. So, spy town, USA. So, she decides to go talk to Otto and Luke and Sasan coming, and she tells him to wait in the car and, like, gives him the keys, which he immediately drops on the ground. <laughs> Because right he moment. can't do anything. Like, oh, yeah, no, he's, like, useless. But I he insists on coming along. And then she's yes. like, cool, just stay here. And he's like, all right, I'll keep him with the bullets. And then you see him drop them on the ground and not notice. <laughs> like, immediately. <laughs> and so she tries to confront Otto and his group. And they, of course, get Luke and try to use a threat. As a, because he got out of the car, of course, because he got bored. And try to use him as leverage. 
But Dakota gets them out, only to find that he, again, has misplaced the keys as they're running out. And who should come and save the day, kind of, when the baddies were about to shoot them? He didn't really. It was Ricky. Dakota has to pull him out of gunfire. (laughs) And is one more thing that she has to fucking deal with in an already complicated situation. So she ends up shooting Otto. He falls off the dock you know, swimming with the fishes. So they didn't get to find out who he was working for. And, you know, of course, in the shadows, we see Cleo. She's been watching the whole thing. She's like got a long cigarette holder. You know, she's plotting about how Dakota will have to pay for this. She's going like full Cruella develop at this point. Like, it's just like, like, oh, yeah, I love that about her, though. Like, you gotta love a bad bitch. Again, I don't know why she's so mad, but she is. Yeah. A few weeks later, Dakota is invited to a party at Luke's where he proposes to her and she says no. And then when Amos says that he'll leave with her, she says, I'm not marrying you either. <laughs> Zing. Yep. <laughs> so D- Dakota then gets a message that her father would like to meet her and he will also be bringing her dun 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 husband. <laughs> yeah. End of issue. So... Yeah. Like- I remember I was reading this issue last night and I was like, good God, there is just so much happening in this. I know. Like, that's why that, don't worry. They, as you will find out, my, my recaps tend to start real long. We got to get that context in there. And yeah. then they just pop, 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 pop. They just start, yeah. start getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> so issue number two is titled Pet Tricks. Published in August 1986, written by Martha Thomas's, art by Tony Sammons, letter by Phil Felix, color by Christy Scheel, edited by Larry Hama, editor-in-chief was Jim Shooter. This issue starts off with Ricky and Dakota going to meet SJ and the mystery husband. But, okay, here's the thing. Dakota insists that she is not married, nor has she ever been, so she's not really sure what her father is trying to pull. And while they're walking up to the restaurant, a man shoots a crossbow arrow that narrowly misses hitting Dakota, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Landing instead in like this short kind of half wall next to her. And we see the attacker thinking about how much he loves her and adores her, which is just like so contradictory. So the arrow has a warning on it telling Dakota not to stay on her current case. But she wasn't actively on any cases. So she's not really sure what this is all about. Dakota and Ricky meet up with their father, who has, like, this other old guy with him. And he basically said, he's not your husband, but he could be. (laughs) It was a ploy to get her there. But he introduces her to Major George C. Cooper. And it turns out he is a former spy like her father. While Dakota is trying to make her escape from her father, she is asked to dance by a tall, blonde stranger. She accepts and immediately is like, so about that arrow, like, it's way too convenient that you showed up now of all times. (laughs) So he introduces himself as Timus, and we, and he is trying to convince her not to get involved with any work that the major might try to get her to do for him. And then he just kisses her, which, ugh. Yeah, and he's also, like, this very tall, fit dude with, like, the 80s blonde mullet that was, like, real popular for a minute. So he's, like, meant to be a dreamboat. And I'm like, "Mm, 
<laughs> you know, okay. you know whose hair his his hair looks like is the mm. beast from <laughs> the Beauty and the Beast series. It kind of does. I was <laughs> I was also series, thinking. Yeah. Um, do you remember Married with Children? How Marcy oh. was married to that one <laughs> dude who was kind of like the blonde, good-looking guy, and he has like longer hair at one point. Like, it, yeah, like he was always kind of like that that really good-looking kind of smarmy dude. I can't remember his name, but I don't either. Hundred percent. So it turns out that in the restaurant, Cooper's bodyguards have been taken out and he knows he has limited time as he sees some other men in long coats who are clearly packing walking towards them. So he asks Ricky if he plays cards. And as Timus is trying to convince Dakota not to take on the major's case, Ricky is winning at cards. <laughs> winning. We're going to oh, no, say it's great. large, it's so big good. fat quotes. I love it because originally his dad is like, uh, you're too young to bet for money. And immediately Ricky's like, I can cover 50 bucks. Sure. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. So Cooper says that he doesn't have enough cash to pay out the $500 of winnings, but he does have a solid gold pen that he can hold on to as he was able to pay him out a little bit later. And he just trade him out for the money. So. SJ is a little nervous about this, stating that Ricky wasn't the one being hired. Dakota was. But Ricky was sent away with the pen, Ooh. with the suspicious men having heard that the boy was walking away with said item. We go back to Luke Jacobson, who was designing a clothing line based on Dakota, because this motherfucker is so infatuated <sighs> and inspired. She's the lady of the 80s or something. The, he says she's the woman of the 90s 90s okay that's like and that's Future. one of those things where i was like when was this written and then i was like no it's from the, okay i was like oh okay so he just expects her to like usher in the decade of fashion okay yeah i guess so you know what people really thought really thought that those jumpsuits were going to be the thing of the future <sighs> I, you know what i love a good jumpsuit like bring it on bring it on but you honestly came to our wedding every... reception in one <laughs> <laughs> That was different. That well, yes, that was a that was a nineties jumpsuit. You know what? Thank you for calling me out. Thank you for keeping it was a me good look. so fucking honest. <laughs> Don't you try to deny that you love them? <laughs> oh, I do. No, but I also love like the jumpsuits that like everybody seems to think we're gonna wear in the future. That are just like the mechanics, like jumpsuits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love those. I think like the let's coveralls. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we don't, I don't know, make those fashion. That's all I need. <laughs> all right. So as Luke is designing this clothing line for the 90s lady, we see Anna pining for her boss because that has to be a side storyline. Like. Which I give absolutely zero fucks I, about. I guess. Dad. Like, if you're not going to have Dakota pining over someone, you got to have another woman doing it it's like okay someone i guess <laughs> well and then i was reading it and i'm like he's just not that into you he's gay like right he likes dudes here's the thing the only reason he likes dakota so much is because she's a little butch and she's a little bossy yeah and like i think that like queer sees queer you know what i'm saying he's like ooh. <laughs> If I'm going to pick any beard, like, let's make it one that's already queer that I don't have to yeah, worry about. Fair. 
I, I will say a little bossy is an understatement. Dakota <laughs> tells everyone what to do. Yes. They do it or yes. They That's how it goes. <laughs> she is the dominant in every situation. And I I love that. Yeah, that's I mean, how I want to feel when I put on my Doc Martens. Like it I'm not I'm not quite there, but that's how I want to feel. I mean, we've talked about this, but speaking of someone who is definitely not the boss of the house, it's I was like, yeah, I see it. It's great. as dakota cooper and her father are exiting the restaurant a car pulls up and two people go after cooper slapping dakota like it was gonna do something (laughs) and dakota like (laughs) fights them off yeah but that was the moment that she decided she was like gonna take on the case so The next day starts off with a bang, as Cooper and Dakota meet up first thing in the morning, only to run into his publicist, Diana. They're already late to leave. Like, Dakota's trying to get them moving. (laughs) However, as they were late and they were talking, the car they were supposed to get into explodes. And if they'd left on time, they would have been inside during the explosion. How convenient. So Ricky had been sent home. But got restless and decided to venture out on his own with just like eyes on him the whole time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like this motherfucker is being followed. So So Cooper tells Dakota that he's in danger because the people following him want to get a sample of nerve gas that he had been in possession of (laughs) until he passed it off to motherfucking Ricky in that gold pen for safekeeping (laughs) to a 12 year old. I swear to God. Dakota is, of course, instantly worried because she knows her brother. And of course, he's out in the streets flipping it around. And like Cleo's guys are tailing him the whole time, like watching this happen. So Cleo has models in her back pocket, of course. So she ends up sending one of the 16-year-old models working for her to go after Ricky, which they have this really gross conversation where she makes some comment about how she was, like, 19 before she, like, had her first younger man. And I was just like, dude, this is a 16 and a 12-year-old. Yeah, and, it's real gross. Uh, that's gross, and I don't like it. So these are children, both of them. I would have had less of a problem if it had been like Ricky was like actually 15 or 16, which he kind of behaves like the whole time, too. He like, does. the only reason that we would know that he's 12 is because they tell us he's 12. Right. And I forgot about that. I think I like called him the wrong age at some point. So I'm going to have to like remind myself as I'm saying it. So that's fun. I don't know. I mean, like, it's just it's that that confidence of like a 16 year old where it's like, oh, like he's super cool and he plays cards and like scams old people who hang out with his dad and then hangs out with models. And then meanwhile, you know, 12 year olds of that era were like. like, I think people forget like what 12 year olds are actually like when they're adults. I, I mean, like- Dude, when I was 12, I was, like, still, like, playing pretend and, like, board games. And, like, I, like... I watched, like, I mean, I still watch cartoons, but I mean, like, I was fully watching Saturday morning cartoons. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, kids want to do that. They want to play games. They want to read books. They want to, they want to go play, I don't know, soccer on the weekends. And then occasionally get together with their friends and, you know, solve mysteries with 100-year-old ghosts or something like that. But it's like, it's all very wholesome. And, like, you know... (sighs) I remember back in my day. Mm. (laughs) That was 30 years ago now. 
Oh my God, you need to stop immediately. <laughs> bite your tongue. You bite your tongue, sir. All right. So I know 30 years ago, you mean the 70s? No, the yeah, 90s. Yeah, right. No. What? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes. So Dakota and Cooper end up going to Central Park. I forget why. It's not important. But yeah. she is jumped and held at knife point by Timus, who says, I warned you not to take the case. And then turns around and kisses her again, which he does say something about this time, because yeah. that's just not okay, my guy. Guys, don't do that. Don't just kiss people. Ask for consent. Make sure it's it's good. Meanwhile, our model friend, Daisy Kane, by the way, that's her name, has successfully wooed Ricky. Not hard to do. And he has agreed to travel with her to the airport as her escort because she's just a small, helpless woman after all. I do kind of love that she uses this because she's very capable. And she convinces him to get on the plane with her to Paris. He's just like, oh, okay. So I mean, while Dakota and Cooper, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> How hard would it be if somebody was just like, go to Paris? I'd be like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. But like at the same time, this is like very 80s where like something like that could happen. Like, right. you know, they there's did, no they... way, no. Like you could actually like as as a regular person, you didn't have to have a ticket to get through the security checkpoint. They would just make you walk through the metal detector and that was it. Right. And then right. like, you know, and then the 90s happened. It was like the Unabombers when it really started to kind of get weird and they started really adding all the security precautions. But like now I have to take my goddamn shoes off when I go through the it's checkpoint. Like, oh, like take off your so belt. It's so fucking annoying. Yeah, it's like, God, let me just get undressed in front of everyone. Oh, no, that's what they want. Thank you, TSA. Yeah, I remember all those. Like, <laughs> do they still do the full body scanner? I haven't like flown in forever, so. Last time I, d yeah, they do that thing and it like. You did the like diamond cutter. Yeah. Super fun. And so while Dakota and Cooper are on their way to one of Cooper's publicity interviews, they are almost run down by, I kid you not, a giant <laughs> monster truck. Okay. And Dakota is, she makes this funny comment about how he wants to to park on us. <laughs> which yeah, I thought pretty was good. Funny. So Dakota is able to outmaneuver the beast of a vehicle with the end result being a destroyed wall and a total monster truck with Timus unconscious at the wheel. We then see Timus in basically a full body cast in the hospital, plotting some real incel stuff, as he's watching the TV interview that he had just tried to prevent from taking place. So, back at the office, the gang is just starting to realize, because the book is the whole thing, right? By the way, there's also yeah, this that, whole that plot Cooper wrote, like, yeah. Cooper's book is like this whole big thing. It's, it's stupid, it's bullshit, it doesn't really matter, which is why I didn't put it in here. Yeah, it, it's one of those things yeah. where it's like, oh, like it's revealing secrets or something. I'm like, right, but the book's already written and it's it's out. Yeah, it's, so, okay. It's published already. Like you're just trying to sell copies. You're on a publicity tour right now. Like this this is happening. It's, it's worth noting the publicist, someone calls up and says, I can give you great interviews. Just give me his whole schedule. And so she just gives it to him. And then she's like, oh, they didn't call back. <laughs> it's amazing security. Mm. <laughs> oh, my God. I do love that she is drawn as a person in a larger body, but she is called beautiful by a few different people. And I, I love that. Mm. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. She's not rocking the heroin chic. That was like, you know, pretty commonplace then. 
Exactly. Exactly. After the interview, back at the office, the gang is just starting to realize that Ricky is nowhere to be found. And, like, it's 1986, so it's not like cell phones are a thing yet. (laughs) And we end with a shot of Daisy and Ricky, like, gazing at the Eiffel Tower. So that's cute. (laughs) They're having their fun little time in Paris. I actually thought that was a nice moment. I'm like, oh, this is good. (laughs) So issue number three was published in October of 1986 with all the same creators, with the exception of John Morelli, who was the letterer for this issue. This issue consists of a wild ride around Europe as Ricky and Daisy flit off to try to scrounge up some cash because that was not a forethought in this situation so that he can take her out on the town. And he's just like getting dangerously close constantly to opening the canister of nerve gas, which we find out can take out an entire city block, including, of course, the person who happens to release the gas. So... Dakota, of course, hops on a plane to try to find Ricky, but is almost strangled in the airplane lavatory by some guy she just, like, leaves in there unconscious because she definitely wins that fight. One of my favorite moments in the comic. (laughs) Absolutely. And then she complains about it. She's like, well, I almost got strangled in a bathroom. (laughs) Yeah, after she gets picked up by her her assistant in France because she's got, like... Because she has, like, multiple offices for her detective agency. Yeah, yeah, the book says New York, Paris, Rome, Tokyo. Although I don't know how many clients she has. Yep. And that's why she speaks all of those languages. So, yep. We then get another round of near misses where Dakota almost finds Ricky, but he evades her without knowing it. Like, he's taking an audio tour in the Pompidou Art Museum, so he can't hear her yelling at him. And he's somehow moving faster than she is, even though he's just, like, going through a museum. But, and she's, like, running. I, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't really. She should have gotten to him. Well, and while so... she's doing that, like, all the French people are just like, oh, American women. They're so loud and obnoxious. <laughs> I was like, mm, all right, good. Which, I'm yeah. sorry. But the, the Parisians are a little, like, you know, look down your nose on the Americans. And, like, we are really annoying. Like, we I, are. to be <laughs> frank, we're really annoying when we travel. Like, you always know a group of Americans, or you always know a group of Brits, too. Like, it's the Anglophones. Yeah. <laughs> we're just, we're just, we think we are entitled to everything. Okay, anyway, that is my yeah, rant. Well, the other thing I was going to say is, it feels like Daisy's either a criminal mastermind or, like, really, really lucky in ways that don't make sense. Because she's like, here, oh. put this ear thing in. And, like, somehow it leads to things working perfectly. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't Theo really has understand. to be, like, orchestrating these things. Like, that's how I, I, I feel. I it's so? like, she's like, probably, I like, I guess. But, like, how? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, like, it's, in, it's these are the things that are never explained. In the words of one of our great philosophers of our time, why not both? <laughs> <laughs> so, another assassin tries to take out Dakota in the museum, but he falls off the top of the museum and she frames it as an accident and she just gets to leave. (laughs) Oops. Silly American. (laughs) And Daisy and Ricky are leaving Paris by train at the end of the issue. Yeah. So that's fun. So issue number four was titled Busman's Holiday and was published in December of 1986. And it was all of the same creators, I believe. At Gare de Lyon, 
Dakota narrowly misses hopping on the train that Ricky is on because she like trips because she's like, goddamn high heels. She does like a full on face plant. And I'm sitting there and I'm she like, does. anyone else would have actually opened the neck with their head going at that angle. But OK. Yeah, exactly. And then she died. No, I'm just joking. God, what if that's how it ended? <laughs> wild, wild. They're like, oh, you want an ending? <laughs> Page three. <laughs> uh, you're out. <laughs> Issue she was just all panels you draw in yourself. Yeah. It's all reprints of previous issues. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, wait a second, why is this starting at one again? Remember her classic tales. <laughs> <laughs> so on the meanwhile, on the train, Ricky is like looking out the window, he's like, Hey, that girl looks like my sister, which this happens a lot of times throughout <laughs> this issue. I'm not even going to name them because it's just like so silly. But Daisy leads them back to the car, which is owned by a chic, a train car, which is owned by a chic. And it has its own butler. And Amos has like this fragmented call from Dakota. It's like somehow a video call. I don't know how that's happening because this is not a day of iPhones. But here we are. So Amos decides to follow Dakota to Paris, you know, And he's, like, leaving his apartment in such a rush. He, like, does that whole thing where he, like, tells his boss, he's like, I have leave to take. I'm taking it now. And, like, just his boss is like, I need you here, though. We're short-stopped. He's like, but I'm taking my leave, so have fun with that. And, like, dips. That's how it works, you know. (laughs) How many times would I have gotten fired if I just did that at any one of my jobs? I swear to God. Unionized police, man. It's the way to go. The union protects. I swear. You. Actually, he says the benevolent organization. Like at the end of that scene, he's like, "Blame the benevolent organization. I'm out." Like I don't think that's what the benevolent organization does. <laughs> <laughs> so as freaking Amos is leaving his apartment, Cleo Vanderlip is there to like do some recon, and he's like, "Listen, lady, hold my cat. Like, watch my cat. I gotta go. Like a perfect stranger. Like you just like watch my cat. Like." okay my guy just leaves his door open like she she's not a stranger because dakota said cleo is setting me up and then when she introduced herself he's like i think i've heard your name before oh <laughs> you know what you're right you're <laughs> right a pretty funny okay. line he's like she was saying something about you good or bad here's my cat <laughs> here it is take my cat i have to go yeah exactly <laughs> like oh my gosh so dakota goes to venice because that's where the train was supposed to go she outsmarts mother assassins because they're everywhere that she is and meets up with amos as ricky and daisy are still on the train so ricky and daisy are still on the train but they had like this special train car that like popped off the rest of the train and just like drove on wheels like yeah, because it's like it's like the caboose car. It's the last one on the train, but it belongs to a chic who yeah. is like her boss or something. And then, but yeah, it's I mean, it pops off and drives off like down a hill off of the tracks. I was like, how is this happening? Well, so <laughs> the train don't stop either, right? It's like no, no, it's like it's like no, they just the like bink, they're going. they like bink and then like. Zip, like down the hill, yeah. But but when I lived in Sacramento, one of my favorite places to go was the Railroad Museum because it's a state park. It's 
really cool. Yeah. Like if you ever get a chance, it's go cool. check it out. But you learn yeah. a lot of stuff. They had there were like people who owned their own box cars that they would then just hook up. They would pay to have like a larger train hook it up, and right. then they would travel, and then they would detach it at a certain station, and then stay right. in it. A lot of people these days, I don't think, realize that that was a thing. That like you could actually just have your own private sure. car. That yes, that then, yes, yeah. I, that is not what I'm taking issue with. It's it's the whole popping off the train <laughs> and going down the hill and driving away yeah. like it's a freaking RV. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like an off road RV. It's like extreme RVing. Yeah, dude, every chic had one of those in the eighties. Apparently, man, it was a European thing. Why not? Oh my gosh, that's why I don't know about it. Goodness gracious. They instead go to Grindelwald in Switzerland instead of the actual last stop of Venice. And then, like, the butler tries to threaten Ricky. It's a whole thing. But Daisy has, like, seemed to genuinely become attached to Ricky, so she foils the butler's plans. The bus train car thing runs into a storefront in Grindelwald with Daisy yelling at Ricky to run. And then back in Venice, Dakota and Amos read in a newspaper about the train car bus thing that ran into the store in Grindelwald, and she recognizes it, and she knows that that's where they need to head. So, meanwhile, the butler and Daisy are being menaced by Sheik Ibenbeek, that's his name, by the way, who has a killer falcon that he uses to kill the butler who had been begging for his life, and he doesn't like that. So, Dakota and Amos find Ricky right before the sheik's men ride up on horses and like in a land rover and all three end up being captured by the sheik and we end the issue with them being threatened with the falcon of death it's so james bond so james bond like like a you know a vaguely you know sharks with freaking lasers on their heads is what it is I, where like was it was saudi arabia i mean like kind of the middle east was like you know it was a big hotbed of global conflict at that point in time because i think that was when we had iran iraq going at each other oh and they then, were at war in the 80s i don't know what years but they, I, they were literally at war for a while there yeah like because that was that was a whole thing and i can't remember if like saudi arabia was also like involved in that mess because my knowledge of global conflict at that point in time is a little bit more nebulous but yeah, like I feel like it was it was kind of like cool to make like Russians and Middle Eastern people villains back then. Like, like I mean, like I guess oh, it yeah. kind of is Go now. Like, I, I guess like you know history is cyclical. Here we like, are again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So issue number five was published in February of 1987 and was titled "Cats Among the Pigeons." And this had the same creative team as the previous issue, with the exception of Max Scheel, who was colorist for this issue. We start the issue right where we left off, which is with Dakota, Ricky, and Amos tied up and being menaced by the Falcon. Here we are again. Ricky is really just watching Hulk on the TV, which is the (laughs) only mention of Marvel character, like Marvel superheroes that we get. And again, it's just in TV form. So So. here's the thing, like that was actually something that I looked up because I was like, I remember watching the Incredible Hulk cartoon around this era when I was a kid and it was like 1982's Incredible Hulk cartoon. But the thing is, is that at that point in time, like Saturday morning cartoons were just so prevalent that we had all of these like animated shows just on the air all the time. And they were like a lot of times, like ones that had only had like 13 episodes, 
they would sit there and merge them together. So it would be like Spider-Man and his amazing friends and the Incredible Hulk and all that stuff. But I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there was like, I'm not misremembering this. There was an Incredible Hulk cartoon around that era. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's very funny that it's the only mention of any of the other Marvel characters and just in a flash in TV. So kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also that Ricky was just like, as he's getting rescued, he's like, but I want to sit around and watch the cartoon more. And I'm like that. Very good. No notes, kid. I like how they put both Amos and Ricky in front of the TV. <laughs> I like that too. Yeah. They're like, we're only dealing with Dakota here. Clearly you two are just fodder. Like, like she's the only adult here in to situation. be a threat. Yeah, exactly. Like just watch TV. Have the a adults popsicle. are talking. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Go sit at the kids table. It's fine. <laughs> yep so meanwhile back at home sj is pretty irked at cooper like only marginally so i might add for getting his son involved in this whole debacle and then it's revealed that cleo vanderlip was involved and sj was basically like oh no i thought she was dead that's not good <laughs> so like this whole time this whole time where cleo's just been out and about and blah 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 blah. like apparently he just thought she was dead you know. he doesn't do his research mm-hmm. like, he's retired man it was before facebook jessica my gosh please <laughs> and now we can find anybody and now we can stalk our exes in real time now we can find anybody based on a first name and a place they potentially enjoy going. I have done that recently. <laughs> I yep. mean, Sarah, Sarah paid for like a legit background search on me at one point. I know. There you go. I mean, Sometimes it's got to happen. I'm, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I get it. I'm like a dude that you're dating and, you know, you want to like introduce me to your family, which includes small right. children. I get it. Yes, it's fine. That's like, the thing. That's the thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe make sure that person doesn't have a criminal record. Good job. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but speaking of a criminal record, you know who does have one? The Sheik, probably. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. No, he probably has diplomatic immunity. Like, that'd be You're my guess. probably right. He doesn't have a record. Well, who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? <laughs> Got a reputation. Oh, there you go. There you go. Dangerous by name. So back at his place, Dakota has tricked the Falcon into clawing open her wrist restraints, which I just thought was so funny. Because she kept dodging it, right? Like and it just dodging it. And then she's like, I realize that once it's decided its direction, it can't really like change course. And so she like quick like throws her hands up where where the Falcon's coming to like attack and it like claws open her restraints which it checks pretty out. funny it does to- totally in in um in falcon physics mm-hmm. it checks out yes this is well research you know <laughs> <laughs> so then like daisy heads home on a plane she's done her job but then she's also like gazing at her picture of ricky that was given to her when she like had to go like win him over in the first place. Mm-hmm. She's just like sighing. Love Lorne. Oh so, yeah, and she says that it's because she liked him because he just wanted to hang out with her. He didn't care about the fact that she was a model. Right, exactly. Like, Which yeah, okay. I don't know if that's he kind of did. Like I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Like he kind of did. Like why do you think he was with you, honey? Like he just was trying to impress you be- because you're a mo- uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so. 
back at the fashion office, Cleo is starting to lose her grip on Luke. Back at the Sheiks, Dakota fights off the Falcon using the chair she was sitting in, like, as a bat. And then, like, one of the legs as a bat, which was interesting. And Falcon just on the ground. Sad Falcon. <laughs> They're like those eagles that I took out in Baldur's Gate last night. <laughs> I like how you're like, I have a direct example of things that I have done recently. Yeah. That amount to me hitting. I murdered the shit out of those birds. <laughs> In Downlight Premonition 2, you shoot uh, bees. So you just shoot a whole flock or whatever a flock, a swarm of bees at once. You go boom. Nice. I haven't thought about the Deadly Premonition games in forever. God. If I, I gotta say, if if bees get big enough to call them a flock of bees, I am I'm concerned. <laughs> it's like those big old bees people are taking pictures of. I'm like, I don't want those bees. You can keep yeah. those bees wherever they are. Like, keep them. And SJ, like, he is hightailing it to Rycom to try to stop Cleo. Because bad news bears. Back in Grindelwald, they are now threatening to drop a TV in the tub of water that Ricky's sitting in. And Dakota banks on the fact that they're, like, not actually going to kill him because he's the only person who knows where the freaking pen is. So, and they've searched him. He doesn't have it. So she tricks the baddies into spilling the tub water and, like, electrocuting themselves, like, temporarily, though. Like, <laughs> just for goofs. Uh, Ricky grabs the pen out of the pocket of one of the sheik's lackeys, whereas he had placed it while Ricky was being searched in the first place. And then Ricky threatens to open the pen and release the gas if they don't drop the weapons and let them leave. So as the three of them are heading out, Ricky stops and like is being stupid and like yells down to them and like only to have the pen stolen from his pocket by one of the lackeys. And so the lackey takes it back upstairs and accidentally releases it like in the room as they're all fighting over it. I think he and the and sheik, guess... like, because the, the, he's like, oh, I'm the, I'm the one who's in charge now. And then the sheik tries to grab it and then it snaps the pen yeah. in half. And you're and like. And because mm. they're, like, in the tower, it was, like, self-contained. Something. Yeah, Question yeah mark? sure. What else is fun? Like, there, there, there's I a guess. paragraph of exposition when Dakota comes back up. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And so by the time she gets back up there, like, the gas is dissipated and shit. So, but back at Rycom. SJ meets up with Cleo, who is escorted by a police officer and, like, immediately pulls a gun to his head. And then in Grindelwald, Dakota finds the men passed out. It's been dissipated. We go back to New York. They're all at Dakota's office because they've made it back now. Just, like, no problem with just the people pass. I guess they're dead. Mm -hmm. I guess the Sheik's dead. So Daisy shows up to visit Ricky. And we see Cleo, like, sitting in SJ's lap because they're, like, in love, I guess. It's weird, man. But she's still very menacing. And she's, like... She's still holding a gun on him. I'll kill you. Um, Yeah. It also seems to be suggested she might have killed his wife, maybe. Yes, that was also suggested. Maybe she, like, like, the wife stole him from her. I don't know, exactly. Yeah, there was an accident and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which, again, I didn't put it in here because it fucking matter. (laughs) So, yeah. And then there's a blurb at the very end that says, this is where we usually put the blurb for the next issue, if there was a next issue. But there isn't. Mm-hmm. because the series was abruptly canceled after the fifth issue, even though they were initially planning for this to be a continuing bi-monthly series. Mm. And 
there's some mystery around why the series was canceled, especially with sales for the first issue being reported at 120,000 copies sold. So that's the series. I might have an idea about that because mm. that was speculation zone. Th- that was around the time that Marvel's parent company got sold to New World Entertainment. We talked about that a bit on our Deathmate episode way back in about two years ago when we talked with uh, Comic Book Couples Counseling. But like, basically, like they, like they were sold to New World Entertainment, and then within three years. After that, I think it got sold to like Ron Perlman, Perelman, however you say his name, you know, Mr. Ellen Barkin. Yeah, right, right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the series. Like, for example, what did both of you think about the fact that it was a Marvel comic, but it wasn't really grounded in the universe as a whole? Like, did it still feel like a cohesive part of that narrative world, even though there weren't any superpowers or other fantastical elements? Uh, no. (laughs) It really feels like its own thing that does not really connect like 80s Marvel. I always think about the whole like, oh, make sure everyone says the other person's name after when you speak to them because a kid could be reading this the first time. Mm -hmm. You get like dropped in and you don't really know what's going on. Just learning about this series, it was like, oh, it's set in the Marvel Universe, and she's a former fashion model, and she does all this with... And, like, none of that's there. It's just, like, out of nowhere, she's, like, you know, mad dog shooting targets, and then... Yeah. Like, that's literally the first page panel. It's... it's, it's, I, I really like how it's done. It's just really interesting, and it's not, like, any other ones, but, like, is it connected to Marvel? It don't feel like any of the 80s books that I read that are superheroes in the era too much to my mind at least yeah it to me it it felt like it was a bit connected towards the end when like you know we talked about ricky watching the the incredible hulk cartoon and like the chic villain towards the end feels very over the top and Mm -hmm. so i feel like it's easier to believe that like that it exists somewhere in the marvel universe but the first couple of issues it's like it it feels like a very self-contained thing but at the same time, when you say, oh, this is part of the larger Marvel narrative, I could believe that, too, because it feels like something that could be slotted in very easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, and I agree. I It didn't it didn't feel like cohesive, but it feels like it could be, like you said, Mike, it could yeah. be kind of shoved in somewhere and make yeah. sense at some point. Yeah, it. And I mean, the, the Marvel Universe is so big, and I think that to its benefit, it, it has a lot of avenues that you could really take yeah. it, and therefore a lot of ways that you can really fit in things that maybe narratively don't always make sense. Yeah. There's a lot There's a lot of Marvel-like models and stuff, too, right? Mm-hmm. right. The Wasp does a lot of that stuff. You, She-Hulk does some. Um, I feel like Storm at one point was like doing some fashion stuff, but I may be misremembering yeah. it. So the, uh, it, yeah, I mean Mary Jane Watson. It feels perfectly possible. It just this narrative does not make any. No one mentions any of that stuff or tries to. I remember there was like a comic in like the late aughts where Tim Gunn is featured in. Oh, yeah, it was like Models Inc. or something like that. I don't know, but like he he wears some Iron Man armor and saves the day at a fashion show or something. I don't know. It didn't look right. good. 
Well, there were quite a few times where Dakota switched the gender norm of a situation, like calling the men sweetie, for example. <laughs> how did you feel about how the character treated the men in her life? Uh, appropriately. <laughs> she, she was the talented one, man. That, that That's what I like about Dakota a lot, too, is it's just like she's doing her own thing uh, and she's going to do it. These guys are here and they may love her, but she don't need them. She don't need Amos. She don't need any of those guys. She's just she's doing her thing while potentially there's a line where she says like SJ like costs her work and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she's just <laughs> she's just a lady in the 80s wearing, you know, her shoulder pads, trying to make a life for herself. She don't need no man running it and she's not starry it over anybody. So I, yeah. I think it's appropriate. I'm sure they're not super happy about it, but. She's li she's living the life she wants to on it, like very well. There's no compromise that I see in most of what she's doing. No, like like I loved it. Like I I thought that it was kind of cool, like where she's sort of romantically involved with Amos, but it's like it's not really a big thing. It's kind of like it's implied that there's there's something going on between them, but it's never really explored in depth. But like, yeah, I really liked that none of this comic really had her pursuing romance like with any real intention, especially when. What was he? He was like a hitman or an operative, whatever. That dude, Timus, which okay, that's a name. Um, but he keeps trying them. to kiss her. And like she had the comment when like the second time where she's like, who actually enjoys this? Like gold star. No <laughs> notes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow. I know. I'm like, you little asexual queen over here. Love you. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So the book was both written and illustrated by rookies in the industry. How does knowing that now, how does that compare to other books you've read from the time? And do you think the quality improved as the books went along? You know, I feel like it's it's just their own perspective is very different, which is kind of nice through it. I don't to me, the, it is sort of problematic and we kind of drop the. Like, we're trying to bankrupt Rycom and all this, but, like, there's no reason for that to be resolved when Otto gets killed, right? Mm -hmm. But we just kind of like, well, I guess that's on the back burner. We're now focused on the Penn story. And the Sheik seems... Uh, to me, I don't think the story got better, per se. It would have been nice, because I really think the opening is was pretty great. It really drops you in there. But then you're like, oh, there's the Sheik, and there's the Penn, and Ricky keeps winning large amounts of money from people in card <laughs> games that we don't see or understand what's going on. Like yeah, Daisy exactly. owes him $500 or something out of nowhere. I don't know why that even happened. I don't either. Uh, and so I don't, it feels more scattered as it goes. Really. And she's also tricking him. <laughs> no, she's tricking him, but I don't really know why I don't like yeah, I don't make any sense in the thing. Like the, the CIA guy at least like has a reason it's, it's a dumb choice, but like, it it's based on his goals. I so I don't know. Right. Yeah. So to me, it doesn't get better per se as, as it goes. I you know I feel like this was this wasn't perfect. Like it wasn't a great comic or anything, but I really enjoyed it. And I think yeah, I think it goes back to what you were saying, Gordon, about how it feels just different because of the creators theoretically because of the creators being new to the industry. Before the show started, Jessica and I were talking about how I really appreciated it because it was just very different from things like Dazzler and Firestar and Spellbinder, which were also supposed to portray strong female characters and, and hopefully get more readers out of the female demographic for Marvel. But like none of them were good. 
Like, well, I was going to say to me, it's what, what's a strong female character? Because I always think about this. I'd gotten that showcase presents with Batgirl. Yeah. And so Batgirl mm. debuts and is like, she's debuting. She's with Batman and Robin and she's like on her first case and keeps up with them. And while she's like guest starring in Batman, she's like, you know, she really kicks butt. And then she gets kind of her own her own stories. And then she's like at the library pining after some guy we don't even meet. Yeah. Having like all this doubt because she becomes like this like stereo, more stereotypical woman who's not confident because she's just a lady. Uh, and so I feel like there's way too much of that with a lot of this stuff or everyone's romance focused. And Dakota yeah, just is yeah. not like it's not important. Amos is cool, which is maybe great. we can hang out sometimes. But who cares? It's my job that matters. And it's not being a model. It's about beating up people and being in charge and, and all of that. That's, you know, it, it, that's, it's very refreshing. <laughs> so. Yeah. There, there is this iconic Supergirl cover that I really want to own at some point because it's her pining for a dude outside of a window. And she's like, what good is being Supergirl if I can't get a date? And I'm just like, this is the biggest pile of horse shit. Oh, and I love it. <laughs> I hate that so much. Yeah. Ah, drives me I, nuts. Like I, I have a deep and abiding love for, for terrible media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I think I would have really enjoyed the, those comics more that we just mentioned. If the creators had been given to make the women a bit more like Dakota, like a bit more unapologetic and kick ass and more of like, I'm more of a main character in their own stories for, for lack of a, a better way to describe it. Like I loved how, unapologetically chaotic this whole comic feels and you know it's a very silly plot it feels like something out of like an 80s movie where you're just like all right whatever we're just gonna roll with it but it's like it's breathless and frantic and and simultaneously like kind of breezy and i don't think it would have worked i think it would have all fallen apart if they tried to weigh it down with any amount of like you know in quotes realism it would have collapsed but the thing is that they never do that they're always like and then this is where we're going now and like, you know, like, all right, let's let's enjoy the ride. Buckle up. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, I think it was definitely um, I had I'd read an article or two about the style of both the writing and the the illustration of, you know, having to get mm-hmm. both of the creators away from just writing scenes where people are having conversations in a room. Yeah. And it felt very much like that the first, like, I would say issue and a half. And then it started getting kind of more action forward. And so you could tell it was, they were still kind of doing that, but they were making it more of an interesting way to do the dialogue instead of it just being like, they're sitting in Cleo's office. Like, this is one scene of them. This is the other scene. You know, it's, it was a little bit less of that. I feel like as we went through, but it also like the storyline just got more chaotic too. So it's like, I feel like there was less of that that needed to be happening because they're like 15 million assassins and they're in Venice and they're in Paris. And yeah. yeah. So, Oh, and the Butler is driving this weird all terrain vehicle, but then he's also attacking them while it's that on the road. A train. Yeah. I don't, like the train car just gets me. I swear. I, lo- I, was I love like, how, <laughs> I, like, you know what it like it 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 broke my suspension of disbelief i am not gonna lie to you like it very much like it it cut off my suspension of disbelief right there because i was like we this, fucking had some of those <laughs> this is your roman empire jessica uh, this is it now i'm gonna think about this for the goddamn rest of my life <laughs> we could have had all-terrain cabooses <laughs> but here we are 
here we are, just like in late stage capitalism, everything's burning down around us. So anyway. <laughs> the 80s are back, unfortunately. Oh, God. <laughs> for, better, for better or more likely for worse. <laughs> Listen, I unironically wear windsuits. Mike knows this. Mm-hmm. It's not just for costumes. I'll just wear them out. Well, what was your favorite moment of Dakota kicking ass? There's just like a lot of the assassin scenes. Like I kind of love the uh, um, when they're at the when I like the art museum one is just really interesting because really the guy has her dead to rights. But then there's like the the security guard comes over and he just is like kill kills him dead. And Dakota's like, did I just hear someone getting shot to death? I better run off. And I think that's the one too, where they're like on a bridge and she's like, I'm going to do a move so reckless. He's not prepared for it. Cause he's a yeah. professional. <laughs> and it's just like, so it's so badass Cause he's like, he, he's such a pro that he, he, he will run after her. Cause he's like, he's going to run after her. But then she's like, Oh, I'm going to like swing from something. Cause he would never think anyone would do something so reckless. Cause he's a pro. And it's like, she knows so well how to do this. Like I, that's one yeah. thing I don't get a sense is how much he's actually done this. Uh, yeah. Because there's sort of the book kind of makes it sound like maybe SJ's keeping jobs from her and she really has not done much of anything, but she's just like in Europe and museums against the professional assassins and knows how to defeat them. Like, it's just really insane. I kind of love it. Yeah, <laughs> I do, too. I I am having a hard time picking just one. Uh, yeah, the scenes that do keep popping into my head are. First, when she drives her motorcycle into the department store, it's like I think it's supposed to be Bloomingdale's because there's some there's some mention of like Bloomies or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she like smashes it through the window. She drives it up an escalator and then she finds the car that she is chasing in the middle of the store and then gets into a gunfight, which I'm just like perfect, <laughs> like absolute chaos. I love it. Um, or the, the airplane bathroom struggle where she knocks out the dude and then just goes back to her seat and is like, well, who knows what that was about? And he's just like, okay. <laughs> just, just fucking leaves him in the bathroom. She doesn't know if he's dead. And then like, they're trying to find him later on and they're like, well, check the plane. Maybe he's washing his hands. And I'm like, mm, maybe okay. he's washing his hands. Yeah, exactly. It was so funny. I'm like, what is this dude's backstory where they're like, I don't know, he might have to wash his hands for a really long time. Like, what Right. What unspeakable things are you doing? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. Like, how I bad really is your like... IBS, sir? Like... <laughs> I also had a tie because I had a hard time deciding as well. I would say my first one would be that monster truck scene. Also good. Where she's just like listen i'm driving this sporty little sports car i can absolutely outmaneuver this motherfucker <laughs> you know and like valid she did you know uh and then i mean the, come on the falcon scene mm-hmm. the goddamn falcon scene she that was so funny like fighting a falcon a killer falcon no less pretty badass it's such a yeah, long that big deal too. i've done it it's such a long scene. It just keeps going. It goes through. It goes through two the first issues. Time, it would be. It would. It would still be hard to believe. But just like the Falcon comes down like ten times. Like it's just insane. There are literally two issues of Falcon menacing people. <laughs> there was some comment where the guy who was with uh, Daisy, 
Is that her name? Um, yeah. Where he's like, oh, like, you're lucky that he didn't turn it on you. I've seen him, like, let it loose on babies that were crying too loudly. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> right. Hey. Right. It was pretty intense. It went real dark. <laughs> Sheik Ivan Beak is no one to be fucked with. Oh, wait, he's dead now. Never mind. Yeah, he is. Like, <laughs> He died in a nerve gas accident of his own making. Yep. Well... Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about where else Dakota North appeared after the series. While there had initially been plans to write her in as a guest alongside Silver Sable in Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, that didn't happen. And she was instead put on the Spider-Man back burner until she appeared in Web of Spider-Man number 37, which not only tried to tidy up some of the storylines that hadn't quite been resolved since, you know, it felt like we got dropped off in the middle of a Mm storyline because we did. So after this issue, she also appeared in the official update of the Marvel Universe, 1989, number five, along with a guest appearance in Power Pack, number 46 in 1989, and showing up next to the Wasp in 1990 fall special Marvel Superheroes Volume 2, Number 3. Hmm. She was briefly a supporting character in the series Cage, about Luke Cage, having shown up in 1992, and was a recurring character until the end of the series in 1993. She also briefly appeared in a Black Panther 3-issue arc, rolled into Ed Brubaker's Daredevil in 2006, and showed up in Avengers Assemble, Captain Marvel, and the New Avengers. She's like I Yeah. She's been around. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm sure that I've read some of these appearances too. I just don't remember them. But like that that makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And during all of this, in 2006, there was talk of a new Dakota North series that would be written by C. B. Sibolsky and penciled by Lauren McCubbin. And there was even a promotional image released by McCubbin, but for unknown reasons, the series never came to fruition. And then Dakota North floated back into the vaults, so to speak. That is until 2018, when Marvel, seemingly out of nowhere, released a trade paperback, which you have, containing all Dakota North's stories, compiling not only her original self-titled series, but also most of her other guest appearances in other arcs throughout the years, including her appearances in Black Panther and Daredevil. And That is the last time that we've seen anything new from Dakota North. But it's not the last time we've seen a character from her comics. Because in 2022, Luke Jacobson, who, of course, was the fashion designer who hired and then subsequently fell in love with Dakota, was featured as one of Jennifer Walters' clients in the TV series She-Hulk. Which leads me to wonder, with all of the new characters Marvel seems to be spotlighting in recent years, will Dakota North be making her on-screen debut sometime in the future? Only time and successful strike negotiations, if you know, you know, <laughs> will tell. <laughs> so I'm just going to float it. She yeah. could replace Kang. Dakota there we go. North can be the big baddie of the multiverse. You heard it no here notes. first. That'd be God. cool. I like that shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, for those listening in the future, uh, Jonathan Majors has been accused of domestic violence. There was a recent Rolling Stone article, I think, that came out that was real bad. It was like pretty damning about everything that's been going on with him, too. 
And apparently Disney and Marvel have been finally like seriously talking about how do we replace him? And I'm like, he is the easiest actor to recast. Like he's Kang, like just have a different version of him show up. It's fine, but whatever. Right. Right. Exactly. I I was also floating. This Kang could have been Mephisto. And then Mm. the real Kang shows up. Fucking Mephisto. Exactly. Mephisto Dakota North together. Mephisto is in love with her, but she don't care about Mephisto. It writes itself, honestly. I mean, what wasn't there a whole thing with like Kang and Doctor Doom teaming up in the Infinity Crusade or the Infinity War? Mm-hmm. It was one. It was one of the Infinity oh. Sagas where they show up. They're like traveling around and trying to like. And they're in love. <laughs> no, they like. I wish they're. They're like. I know. Me too. <laughs> it's. It's not. It, it's not nearly as gay as I wanted it to be. But yeah. Damn. Um, I feel like this is like a non thing. I'm like, why? Why are you guys having like so many high level discussions that where you're wringing your hands about this? Like, I feel like this is not that hard. Yeah. Well, a lot of kings have masks too. You could mask him very easily. Yeah. You could be the Scarlet Centurion easily enough. Oh yeah. Um, or uh, his who hat would... would kind of distract everybody from it's a different actor. You know, there's a oh, lot. What, what was it? There was like Rama Tut was another incarnation. Yeah, Rama Tut. Or Immortus, where he's got that big stupid hat, like, you know, whatever. Sorry, we're going on a tangent. (laughs) Oh, no. On a podcast? No. Who's heard of that before? Not on our show. (laughs) Well, that wraps up our conversation about Dakota North. So let's again shift gears and talk about an even more contemporary piece. Gordon, you shared the first chapter of your book, Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the MCU. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah. So basically, you know, what we do in the book is we're teaching research supported leadership concepts through Marvel movies. And so every chapter kind of talks about one movie with examples, then a leadership concept. And so talking about Captain America as a servant leader, things like that. And then you sort of reflect on your own experiences, and how it connects. And so that's kind of what we do across the, You know, we talk about Black Panther in the book. We talk about shared leadership and guardians of the galaxy. We talk mm-hmm. about conflict management and stress and all this stuff. Uh, Cause the Marvel universe is full of these interesting things. You know, and one thing we talk about a lot is the Marvel universe is full of all these superheroes that they save the day on their own. They're very skilled, but when something really bad comes out like Thanos, they got to work together, even though they've got all these different perspectives, these different uh, viewpoints, they got to figure out how do we work together when we're used to doing our own thing. Um, and so so for us, at least, Sai Islam, my co-author and I, you know, it's just a really nice way to talk about the complexity of leadership too, as opposed to just everybody listens to one dude and we just all follow, because that's not really how leadership works in the real world uh, in any real yeah. sense. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so like, I'm curious, what led to this book originally? Like, what was the impetus? Yeah, so Sai and I spent a lot of time, actually mostly on Twitter DMs, talking about comics. Uh, he certainly got a lot of Dakota North screenshots, <laughs> but I was reading that. Uh, and so we, we always talk about a lot of this stuff, um, you know, Marvel stuff as it comes out. And so uh, as we were talking about science communication and how do you help people to understand these concepts, uh, there was a book series that came out, Pop Culture and Leadership. Uh, and so we're like, hey, why don't we submit a proposal for Marvel? Hmm. Uh, we, you know, we talk about Marvel all the time anyways. Uh, it would be a fun way to kind of do this kind of outreach and communication 
Um, and, you know, it'd be an excuse to watch all the Marvel movies again and uh, talk to <laughs> oh, no. podcasts and others <laughs> on this What topic. a bummer. Oh, my gosh. Although I will say the amount of content I've purchased since I started doing this is way more than any amount of money we're going to make on the book. Because um, I'm definitely more addicted than ever to, uh, to wow. comics. I'm feeling that to my core after starting this. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you get to sit there and say, like, I wrote a book and you can show off this tangible thing that you made. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's super cool. It's not something I ever expected we'd be able to do. So I was very thankful for the opportunity on it. And yeah, it's been fun. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, we write research papers and then move on. We don't think about how how do we really how what does this really mean and how would we explain it and what how can other people understand it and so right. to me it's what we need to do more of frankly in science in general mm-hmm. making it accessible to people because it's not that people can't understand it it's that it's presented in boring formats or behind paywalls or mm-hmm. you know not 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 in ways where it really has impact so so yeah it's been a lot of fun <laughs> nice we've, we've been enjoying it well, can you share with us an MCU character that you found to be challenging to categorize? Yeah, so I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, it's actually one we don't talk a lot about in the book, but I think Loki <laughs> mm. is okay. a really interesting one now, especially Super with the chaotic. Series. The series came out after the book, so it really it complicates it because there is sort of like, how does Loki try to influence other people? How does he try to lead them? How does he get... Because to me, I actually think Loki season one, there is sort of the whole argument of like, why should we trust Loki, right? Right. He's historically very untrustworthy. Uh, He changes alliances. You can't really trust him. You know, maybe there's a little bit of arc at the end of maybe him and Thor working together before uh, Thanos kind of causes some trouble. But like to try to pin down, like, how does he try to influence people and how does he sort of build that trust is a really big question to me, my mind. So is he a good leader? Not overall. Is he somebody that does seem to be able to influence people to do stuff? Yeah, and that's kind of interesting to think about it. And all the villains are kind of interesting, I think, in general, to try to talk about that question of, you know, how they've got their followers. They've, mm-hmm. they, you know, they try to beat people up <laughs> in some cases, but they also are trying to be leaders and influence people. You know, Thanos says a similar thing of, you know, he's got his devotees, including in the real world of people that think he was right. And like, yeah. why is that? What is what is the influence is kind of interesting to think about. Or, I mean, yeah. look at Killmonger, who, you know, oh, yeah. it, like his whole thing is that like he wants to lead his people, but he also wants to help other people that are persecuted minorities and arm them with like Wakandan technology. Mm. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. all right. Like, yeah. So out of curiosity, what leadership style would Dakota North utilize, do you think? Or would she have her own? So I I feel like Dakota North in particular is very self-leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like she's really does her own thing. She doesn't, she she doesn't really feel like she needs people to a significant degree, right? Yeah, she's Um, a maverick, a lone wolf. (laughs) Yeah. But, but the thing is, it is a question of what, what skills do you have and how does other people help you with what's going on? Um, I think in a lot of, you know, the Dakota North comics in her series, it's like she can kind of do most of the stuff on her own, right? She needs... Mm -hmm maybe some information. She needs some backup here and there. You know, that's a rare moment in Europe when she is to Amos, like, I don't know how we're going to find Ricky. And so he uses his skills. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> to help out. But 
Um, so I, I'd be, yeah, I'd be curious Dakota having more need or being out of her depth, you know, how she tries to navigate that and tries to lead others. Cause you know, she kind of bosses people around and then does her own thing. Right. Um, and that's good if you can do everything, but, uh, in most cases we need other people to help us with something. And I don't think Dakota does a great job of setting that up. People mm-hmm. don't necessarily feel appreciated by Dakota. I would say in the series, um, because they're not needed. She's doing her thing. <laughs> we should have Brad and Lisa right. on to talk about what her love language is. <laughs> oh, that is true. That, would that be is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, who would you say is your favorite MCU character based on leadership style alone and why? Well, you know, I do think Black Panther is overall one of the best. With him, he's very much trying to get people on board and giving people chances. Um, and so with the arc of, you know, the Black Panther movie, T'Challa at the beginning, he could kill M'Baku or not. And he, you know, he beats him and leaves him alive. And that ultimately leads to T'Challa being able to triumph, right? He takes somebody who was an enemy, who was against him, but becomes an ally. And he even tries that, you know, with Killmonger at the end of the movie, he doesn't want to kill Killmonger. He wants to give him a shot. He admits the culpability of his dad in this bad situation. I'm not a big fan of what if overall <laughs> personally as a series, mm. uh, the, the MCU series, the comic is, you know, crazy. You know, if Peter Parker got a hangnail, like the whole Marvel universe will blow up in three days. That's how it generally goes. <laughs> what if the comic, at least the nineties. version. I, feel like. um, I mean, basically it was always like, what would happen if this situation happened? And almost always it was like, everybody dies. It, like, like if Peter Parker felt real love for five seconds, what would happen? You're like, well, world ends. Yeah. I guess that's why they've got to reverse the spider marriage, because otherwise the world would end uh, sooner or later. <laughs> I assume that's that's their that's our explanation for it. <laughs> Jessica and I have talked about that at one point, and I I was just like, it's garbage. <laughs> it's hot and garbage. That whole thing. Like, yeah. okay, so but for what if you've got the issue where he basically replaces Peter Quill, right? And you've got like Thanos is like a guardian and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of how the issue is set up is like it was bad ultimately at the end, but like black Panther just kind of like rules the whole universe in that because he put him in a new environment and he still makes friends and build allies in that. So, so to me, black Panthers in is the best. It's not really close in terms of leadership because he's not just ordering people. He's working with them, giving opportunities. Um, he just is, he's really good at building coalitions and all that, which is essential. Yeah. Yeah, because at yeah. the end of that one, it was like, oh, Peter Quill was working at like a video store or something, right? And then he gets recruited to like help end the universe, I think. But yeah, that, I'd never... that's not really T'Challa's thing. Like, that's not. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. At the end, at the, what if I just, I, I just got bored and stopped halfway through. Like some of the multiverse was kind of cool at the end, but I was like, I, I'm out. It's that fine. was the first series I abandoned. Actually, I yeah it. It's not one that I routinely like think about a lot. I, despite that, that I was your what if story. Invasion, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your your what if story was what if I abandoned this halfway through reading it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the seventies and eighties what if comics. I think there's so many good mm. ones. Like I still think that one of the best Conan stories is what if Thor met Conan, and it's. Oh, mm-hmm. And the way that it ends is so good. And I think about it all the time. That's that's my Roman Empire. Um, <laughs> and and there, it's like the way that it ends where 
like I'm not going to spoil the plot too much, but it's like it's basically like Conan climbing the mountain to find Krom, the god, and it it feels very spiritually similar to Conan 2099, where at the very end of it, there is this beautiful moment talking about his relationship with Krom, and then how he has grown beyond it now, and it's fantastic. But yeah, like I mean, the What If series on on Marvel, it's it's fine. I'm not really a big fan of the the animation style either. I'm like, it just doesn't quite gel for me. It wasn't exciting to me, at least. Yeah, yeah, and like the final episode is is it's okay. Um, it led to my stepson and I having a conversation about the multiverse, and then I explained to him about Loki, and so we started watching that, which has been really nice. It gave us that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. but yeah, there you go. You got something yeah. out of it, right? Yeah, exactly. So. If you were to write a sequel to this book, is there another fictional universe that you might use as the basis for it? Well, we are literally writing a book on Avatar The Last Airbender in leadership, so that's an easy answer. (laughs) (laughs) I literally, I saw a a pin today that was Bender from Futurama with Aang's arrow tattoo and cape. And I was like, oh, it's The Last Airbender. I like it. (laughs) But other than that one, um, you know, Star Trek would be really interesting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. that, that's one I've, I've thought about quite a bit. And I do think DC Comics would be interesting in some direction. I'm just like, I, I'm personally still intimidated by by sort of comic scholarship. Because yeah. I feel like you write about something and you're like, well, did you read World's Finest 237? Yeah. You know, yeah, people are like, have you taken like, into oh, consideration? Yeah. That's always my fear, too. Yeah. That's like why we like when we do these, when I do these deep dives specifically, I'm like, okay, where else have they been? What else do I need to look into? <laughs> because yeah. people will tell you. <laughs> well, and there's also, there's like so much stuff that is like has slipped through the cracks, like in terms of like documentation. Like at one point when we were talking about the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons comics, all of the research that I found, it was like, okay, so it hasn't been reprinted anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, it was reprinted. But the thing is, is like, even like I was looking at five different Wikipedia articles. None of them mentioned that. It was only listed on the sixth Wikipedia page that was like not obvious. And it was like, it was a one line item. I was like, son of a bitch. I mean, like. That's why, yeah. That's why we have so many resources. <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, and that's what gets updated on Wikipedia. I was looking at something recently just re- after watching crown jewel where i was looking up a wrestler i liked a lot trevor lee and his his old league he was in and like the last update on that page which i guess the federation didn't come back is my wiki edit (laughs) oh wow (laughs) where i said like i think uh cw midwest is like has finished it's like done in 2019 and like no one's written anything no one's updated i guess it's dead but like even the site suggests it's wikipedia says it's present because i just added something to be like I think this Federation is over. It was pretty cool, but like, I think it's gone. But there's so much on Wikipedia that falls in that or like one page has content on a character and then the page of the related character doesn't have that character. I mean, when we talked about Highlander, there was no documentation whatsoever about Highlander 3000, which was (laughs) a comic book that they tried to try to do and it wound up being a disaster. And so I wound up writing an entry on Highlander 3000 and I cited our podcast as the source. I was like, yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably why we still get uh, hits on that episode every now and then. Right. I do love the first Highlander. (laughs) First Highlander is great. Highlander is fantastic. Highlander. (laughs) We're excited about the reboot. Chad Stahelski is supposedly doing it and like, it's got Henry Cavill. Like, I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm Uh, done with it. Okay. 
Mr. Cavill. Okay. I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. It was great having you on. Can you tell us where we can find your book? Tell our listeners, because I know they want to buy it. Yes. So so Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the MCU, you know, Amazon is probably the best place to buy it. I think we're still on Barnes and Noble and Walmart as well. Okay. Um, My publisher doesn't have a way to buy it. They just have an Amazon link through their Mm. website, which I kind of would have liked to send you just Emerald Publishing, but they they don't seem to sell the books directly anymore. They I don't have a web store. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. I don't know. It's an academic publisher. So maybe that's just not what academic oh, publishers okay. do. Yeah. But yeah, you can find it fine on Amazon. We do a lot of blogs on pop culture stuff on Talent Metrics, which is a size, a consulting site. But we just, well, I watch something, he watches something, and then we end up writing, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a post about it. <laughs> oh, cool. So. Well, very nice. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the discussion. (laughs) And before we wrap up, wrap up, let's go ahead and slide on over to Brain Wrinkles. All right. Well, we have reached Brain Wrinkles, which is that one thing comics or comics adjacent that has been rattling around in our noggins so mike why don't you start us off today yeah so there was a recent article in variety like in the last i think it's the last week titled crisis at marvel jonathan major's backup plans the marvel's reshoots reviving original avengers and more issues revealed and it's like i don't know i i barely keep up with the comic book movie news like I have a broad awareness of stuff at best, but even I read that article and talked about it with Sarah because it's talking about like all the stuff that's going on with Disney and Marvel and all and basically how they've gone from like, you know, staggering heights with, uh, you know, Avengers Endgame to suddenly they're like, you know, the movies aren't making as much money. People aren't liking the content that's being pumped out as much. And Sarah and I were talking about it and both of us are pretty unenthusiastic about Marvel movies and TV shows that day. Although for, for very different reasons, like my big complaint is that a lot of the stuff that Disney has been just, I mean, fire hosing us with, it feels like hasn't been universally as good as it was a few years ago. And that's not limited to Marvel. Like I was really psyched about the haunted mansion movie. It was whatever. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Like, same with the Star Wars stuff. Like, I'm like, all right, it's it's okay now. But it's like, all right, I guess, like, this is all we're getting. And it's just, you know, whatever. You know, I have I still haven't watched Secret Invasion. Like, it looked interesting. And then I talked to people who were watching it. It just yeah. sounded like it was not good. Yeah. My stepson and I are gradually working our way through Loki Season 2, which we, so far, we like a lot. Like, it's very, very much Loki, where it's like a time travel caper. It's got... Kehoi Kwan in it, who I absolutely adore, and I'm so thrilled to see him back on screen, especially oh, yeah. after his long absence. But, you know, that that said, like, I'm actually looking forward to the Marvels. Like, I know that it's not tracking great for the box office, but I'm going to go see it. It looks like a lot of fun. You know, and Marvel just dropped the trailer for the new Echo TV show based on Maya Lopez, who we first mm. saw in Hawkeye, and it looks great. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm stoked about that, too. But I feel like Disney and Marvel are kind of at the same point that Disney was with its animation division back in the 80s. Like they 
they just had a series of misses and things just weren't going well for them. And then they were able to rebuild the animated films back into something really special. And I think this is kind of the low point where they're going to sit there and kind of retool everything and then come back. But we'll see. You made me think of a, one that also is kind of a bummer for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with that. It was something where just in reading stuff post New 52, essentially, mm. is, you know, I was reading less when that happened, even though I started it. And but I've caught up a lot more stuff like Batwoman and some of the stuff that came out after. The one that Hayden Blackman was writing? Yeah, yeah. So I actually I know Hayden um, not well, but he he worked at 2K with me. Oh, cool. uh, he's not there anymore. But like he and we did not work directly together. But like I interacted with him a few times. He's incredibly of nice. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but super cool, dude. And that series oh. was great. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I've been reading stuff. And what I really realized that I hadn't realized because I wasn't as t- connected in is like, uh, like my DC universe is dead now. <laughs> yeah. Like the new 52 actually killed what I liked the most is I feel much more connected pre, you know, pre-crisis and then crisis to 2008. And so a lot of those series is like Chase or Manhunter mm-hmm. uh, and Bat, and even the Batwoman of that era, like uh, that stuff I love. And like it kind of all does not exist <laughs> anymore, right? These characters don't exist in the same way or the stories aren't there. And it just was a very weird thing to feel like, like, I guess people probably felt that at crisis that like they lost, you know, their golden age heroes. Um, But I hadn't really realized that, like, I kind of lost my DC universe in 2012 to some degree. And, you know, it's interesting. I read all of Grant Morrison, Batman. And like, even with that, like Batmaning kind of gets discontinuity a little bit Mm -hmm. and kind of doesn't stick to landing because suddenly we're not in we're not in that dc universe it's it's just kind of a weird feeling and it's like so delayed (laughs) because i wasn't reading weeklies anymore to be like oh apparently my universe is dead and a lot of the weird little things i liked like no one cares that the manhunter series is not really in continuity anymore um but but i i do we're like which manhunter series are we talking about oh the manhunter adrian echo one the one from 2000 so okay. Kate Spencer. Yeah, Kate Spencer. Yeah, yeah. I was like, because there's like three that we could be talking about right now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, Mark Shaw can, uh, the Ostrander series can go away. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it was kind of fun, but, but yeah, no, so it's just sort of a weird, it's kind of just a weird feeling to, to sort of like the universe is gone yeah. <laughs> to me. Well, I mean, like that kind of goes back to when we were talking with Paul Kupperberg earlier this year, where, and I don't remember exactly what the context was, but it was talking about different versions of Krypton and Superman. Mm. And, and basically the response is, well, which one are you talking about? Like which Krypton, which Superman and how we all have these defined arcs of the character that are our arc. So like, I always think of the post crisis Superman that was like John Byrne and Dan Jurgens. Mm. Like that's my Superman. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I know that they kind of, they kind of like resolved all that recently where it was like they took the new 52 Superman because he had died or something and then replaced him with the Dan Jurgens one from that era. It, comic books are dumb. I love them. But basically everybody hated the new 52 version of Superman. And they were just Ooh. like, yeah, we're just going to we're going to swap in the OG Clark Kent that everybody actually <laughs> liked. <laughs> like, It's fine. It's fine. And, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. it's just a weird thing reading back issues because even something like i read the new 52 like secret six and mm-hmm. not enjoy it because it was mm-hmm. not it was not the secret six <laughs> it wasn't the one that gail simone gave us uh it, 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 it gail simone did do the the post new 52 one but like like all the continuity was different and mm. they weren't working like the whole old series just is not in continuity now it's like yeah it, so it's just, and like it's just so they're... weird there was it's some a weird feeling with Green Lantern happened. around that time too. Like I think like Green Lantern's time didn't change because it was like in the middle of a big old story, and also Jeff yeah. Johns was like you know spearheading it. So whatever, because he had just written Flashpoint. I remember the the Deathstroke one was kind of interesting, and then they let Rob Liefeld write and draw it, and it was uh suddenly not very good. <laughs> like because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm shaking my head vigorously. Yeah. I'm like no. <laughs> oh, Robbie Liefeld, like. Robbie Lie. God. Yep. Like, I don't know how someone is so incapable of drawing hands and feet after all this time as a professional artist, but whatever. I can't, I kind of feel like every podcast comic episodes ends up about him and his inability to draw feet. So I'm glad we I mean, got I'm, I'm happy to like go down that path. Like, like, like we haven't been down this road before. Yeah. Like we I think every episode have. it's, it's been I mean, like our feelings on Rob Liefeld are not exactly secret. Like we, <laughs> yeah. mm, no, I had to listen to his podcast for the Deathmate episode. And it's just, I'm so divided on him because he signed a copy of young blood. Number one for me when I was a little kid. And he was very nice to a kid that he had no need to be. And he's apparently like a very nice guy just to hang out with. Like Brad and Lisa mm-hmm. from comic book couples counseling have talked about running into him outside the convention at San Diego comic-con. And they were like, he was really nice. Like he was really lovely to us, but he's also just this extremely loud presence online and his fans are an extremely loud presence online as well. And I don't know. I'm just like, I feel like I can't, I can't really publicly comment about him too much because otherwise we'll get all the vitriol directed at us. Yeah. I I didn't read image in the nineties. So to me, there's no like, Oh, and I wasn't reading New Mutants or any of the stuff when he did it. Mm. So it's like, I've got no, like, oh, I've got nostalgic memories. It's just like, didn't really like Image at the time. Now they're, you know, the stuff was fine. It's just as a kid, you'd like take your side. <laughs> right. So I was like, never going to read it. <laughs> I, I'd read it now if it came up and I thought it was going to be useful. But like, I just, this, yeah. it hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Jessica, what about you? What is, uh, what does wrinkle in your gray matter? So I was going to go really dark and I'm going <laughs> to, I guess I'm not going to go that dark because oh, man. I, just, <laughs> I know. Um, but what I, one thing that I have been thinking about and we have talked about this before, but I've been thinking about AI in Ooh. illustration. And what mm-hmm. made me think about that was, this video came across my TikTok. It's always TikTok, right? Right. This video came across my TikTok and it was talking about this creator was upset because these stickers that she had received from this artist were very clearly created by AI. And she was like, these are the reasons I know they're AI, like X, Y, Z. And I'm just kind of disappointed that you didn't create something yourself. Like instead of creating this yourself, you like pop some words in and had AI create it. Mm. And I'm like, I'm kind of torn on the use of this. Like 
I think that person was looking to make a quick buck. You know, they know what people like and they pop some words in and made stickers that they knew people were going to buy, right. you know, and there is something to be said for this like capitalist hellscape we live in and like, you know, making money where you can like, okay, you know what I mean? Like you kind of can't hate on people too hard when everybody's in hardship. But at the same time, like, you know, where, where is art evolving? Like, you know, art started, I would say that, you know, even graphic design becoming bigger at one point was, you know, not an art form, quote unquote. Right. And, you know, and I, I wonder how that's going to evolve for AI in the art scene mm-hmm. as people say like, well, I created the landscape of what this created. Right. I could see people like saying, you know, I was very specific. I put in X, Y, Z. This is my vision. And this just created my vision. Yeah. And so I feel like it could be really helpful for people who don't have a keen sense of or or ability to do the art themselves. But also, again, it's like, you know, collaborate, you know, work with artists. So I, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm kind of torn and I I can see how it would be useful, but I also see how it removes a piece of that humanity, but also humanity created the AI itself. So it's just kind of, it's, it's very complex in my yeah. brain. Well, and now there's the new thing coming out where, because the AI creators weren't willing to kind of like regulate and, and basically stop their bots from basically, you know, plagiarizing work from, from existing artists. Right. Which, I mean, right. we talked with Andy Mangles about that recently, about how his books yep. were, were combed for, for AI stuff. But um there's a new thing. I think it's called Nightshade, I think. But it's uh it's a new thing that you can put into your art and then if the AI combs it and tries to replicate it, it'll basically just turn it into like nothing. It'll it'll basically just destroy mm-hmm. the the AI process and they were just like, yeah, so like if enough artists do this, it'll basically poison the AI art generator. And I was like really interesting. interesting. But like huh. Yeah, I mean like before before that we knew how problematic AI truly was, like the guy that I was DMing a D&D campaign with, we would use Midjourney to create mm. to create art for like, you know, specific scenes because we were doing an original story and we don't have the artistic capability to do that stuff. Um, right. Like, you know, right. obviously we stopped once we realized just how bad it was, but yeah. That's why I don't utilize it either. Yeah. Like while I feel complex about it, it doesn't mean I have to. No, I don't have to be involved. It's like I I like to see how things kind of play out without getting involved in something that I see as problematic. Yeah, but that I can also, and that's that's the hard part. I mean, everything's a gray area, right? Like yeah. things could be useful if we used it in the right way, but what's the right way? Who dictates that? And yeah. like what? Like who are we benefiting from? Yeah, you know, like who's like you know to that that end? Like whose work are we actually like? This comes from somewhere. It doesn't just come from nothing. Exactly. And then, you know, we also have like coming from I know that they were trying to like copyright an AI comic book and uh, the patent office was like, you can't do that because it wasn't created by a human being like or the art wasn't at least the the writing was. But yeah. Right. And I do feel that more and more writers are kind of turning to that if they want to do something more graphic novel-y mm-hmm. like I have heard about more artists kind of like trying to go in that direction I don't I don't know how it's going to pan out I would like to see more people collaborating but I also know that like there are there are definitely in a like there are definitely things that stop people from being able to do that you yeah. know 
there are constraints from being able to do that in certain situations. So I, I can appreciate that too. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that is our show for today. So Gordon, thank you again so much for being on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> Enjoyed it. So next week we will have another dollar bin discovery. The week after, do we have a topic yet, Mike? No, I don't think so. We'll figure it out. Cool, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so two weeks from now, we will have another deep dive. But until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is TencentTakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at IO Psychology. You can find me on LinkedIn, Gordon Schmidt. I've been talking more about comics lately on LinkedIn because uh, it's the only good social media left, which is very sad for the rest of us. And the book Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the MCU can be found on Amazon or wherever you buy books online. You can also send us mail now. We are at P.O. Box 940 in Pengrove, California, 94951. And Pengrove is spelled P-E-N-N-G-R-O-V-E. Send us stuff. (laughs) If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.